You're listening to In Network, Nordic's podcast series where we explore healthcare and technology with experts from around the globe. Hello and welcome to the In Network podcast feature, Making Rounds. I'm Nordic's head of thought leadership, Dr. Jerome Pagani. Today I sat down with practice leader for digital health, Kevin Ertel, and Paul Slaughter, practice leader for managed services. Having worked in data analytics and reporting at Mayo Clinic for nearly a decade, Kevin now leads a team at Nordic that works strategically with healthcare organizations to build and support digital and cloud solutions that transform their operations. Paul has over 25 years of leadership and experience in IT and operations with a focus on the healthcare industry. He oversees a team that provides critical technical support and maintenance to healthcare organizations around the globe. In today's podcast, we discuss the plethora of factors that have been putting pressure on the healthcare ecosystem, also known as the big squeeze. We discuss how health systems can begin to freeze the squeeze by focusing on augmentation, automation, and amelioration. Time to make rounds. Kevin, Paul, thanks so much for joining me today. Can you take just a second to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Kevin Erdahl, practice lead for digital health here at Nordic. Uh, Paul Slaughter, I'm the practice lead for managed services here at Nordic. Thank you both for joining. So we're going to talk a little bit today about the big squeeze. And what we're really talking about are the plethora of challenges that are putting enormous pressures on healthcare systems. So Kevin, Paul, what are some of the factors that are driving the squeeze and what effect are they having on health systems today? Yeah, so so I think healthcare is seeing skyrocketing costs across the board. I think we see global inflation, um, we see geographic inflation, geopolitical instability, you know, all kinds of different things that are affecting financial performance of health systems and not in a positive way. You know, we're seeing a lot of expenses that are outpacing revenues. It's impacting those health systems' ability to staff appropriately for clinical care and in operational improvements across the board is suffering. What we're starting to see now on top of that is we've got long COVID, post-COVID sequela, all escalating the chronic care burden to these institutions. And so I think what we really need to think about is, is what are those effects on revenue, staffing, capacity, and then what, what can we do from a technology perspective to address it? Yeah, and even from a technology perspective, right, we're expecting things differently in today's world as patients. So our patients are expecting to interact with their clinicians a little bit differently than they did four, five, ten years ago, where we now need to have applications on our mobile devices so that we can interact with not only their clinicians, but sometimes their collective care team, and not just for an individual as a patient, but in some cases as their families. So now we have a different level of engineer, we have a different level of technical debt, all those are contributing to uh, the big squeeze as we think of it. Yeah, and you touched on kind of a critical point there, which is that patients are beginning to have experiences in other sectors that are leading them to have expectations of what they're going to encounter in healthcare. Is there a risk there for other players to come in and begin to develop their own health services? Yeah, a risk and an opportunity, right? Uh, So because there is an opportunity for us right now within healthcare to learn from others, I think we can take advantage of that. So I can now pull up my phone and look at my Uber app and get a ride to anywhere I maybe need to go within uh, the Madison area, for example. If I need to book a flight to go someplace a little bit further, I can do that from the same device and have relatively the same kinds of experiences. So as patients and as family members, we now expect that out of our healthcare systems as well. I need care. I need to go find that within the region that I'm at right now. And I might want to find care for maybe my child who needs a well child visit. I want to be able to help her, support her for the same device that I'm booking my flight from. 
Some of those retail and tech players, for example, really have experience doing that end-to-end customer journey really well. What we've seen is that some of those players are making investments on the healthcare side and bringing that set of experience capabilities to bear as well. Yeah, Amazon, Walgreens, CVS, they've all done this pretty well for a period of time, broadly speaking, right? And, and now we're getting a little bit closer to healthcare as well. So we just need to make sure that we're on pace with the changing ecosystem around us from a technology perspective. And that's the opportunity for uh, more traditional healthcare providers is they understand the care space really well. And there are opportunities to either partner or to build in-house or to bring in a vendor to build out some of that experience piece. They risk significant disintermediation if they don't do that. If they don't invest in those areas, they will get cut out of the care continuum and revenue stream. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see that as care becomes more decentralized, there are more players, it's delivered closer to where health consumers are, um, and, and there are opportunities then for fragmentation of care. And so what we really need to be thinking about is that ecosystem perspective, as you mentioned. That's right. So a lot of those factors that we're calling the big squeeze are resulting in health systems having to do at least as much, if not more, but with fewer resources, both on the financial end, on the people end, and thinking about how to use technology in smarter ways. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I could maybe start off, Paul, and I know you can help uh, add in from a um, staffing component of it as well. But when we think of where we can leverage technology and then how to leverage that technology, it becomes critically important to consider the, the changes in the impact not only to the workflow, but also to the overall patient experience. So just a, a couple of use cases or a thought or two on this particular topic, right? So look at uh, robotic process automation as one example, where back office type activity, maybe from a revenue cycle perspective and helping with things like claims denials can be very helpful. Uh, We don't have to have individual staff members looking at a multitude of different claims and trying to reprocess. And that might be an area to consider in that back office, not so much patient facing to bring in some net new tech. The other piece of the puzzle is artificial intelligence, which is extremely exciting and we all like to talk about it right now. But we have to make sure that we're doing it in a safe environment and that we're impacting workflows in a way that we intend. So for that reason, we always wanna bring the clinician into the mix as early as possible and start to understand where can we start to derive insights early and then inform the clinician to help make decisions instead of trying to do some processes without understanding the end-to-end impacts. Is that kind of the progression that we're seeing? So we're seeing uh, use cases for things like AI in particular really uh, working very strongly in the back office and establishing that safety and trust so that they can then be rolled forward into clinical operations as well? Yeah, back in mid-office is where I, I would say we see the most of it. And then we start to see that creep its way forward into clinical care, which is extremely exciting. And that's where we all want to be. Um, but once we understand how to bring artificial intelligence into a particular health system, the safe place to start as farthest away from patient care as possible, and then start to bring it closer to patient care and impact it in a positive manner. So, so I think technology is great and as an enabler and, and absolutely needs to be part of the, the overall solution. I think we also can think about this in terms of how we actually can staff 
certain functions within healthcare organizations and how you can reduce burnout, um, reduce your attrition of staffing, um, as well as take some of those administrative tasks, the lower end rote tasks that people have to do every day off their plate in a manner that allows them to focus on the more higher value, strategic, or at least critical to clinical care and, and the support of that clinical care via their EMR and other systems. I think there's an opportunity to augment staff to, to ensure uh, we help those health systems uh, basically retain the staff that they have um, and perform at the top of their license. So one of the things managed services has always done has been able to meet those sort of fluctuations in demand in a really timely and efficient way. Absolutely. I think managed services, one of the value adds there is to smooth out the, the peaks and valleys. Um, as you think about delivery on a monthly, weekly daily basis. Um, We can definitely do that from a scale perspective that a hospital or health system just can't afford to staff to. Um, So that's definitely one of the pieces that that we would bring to the table. So in addition to that sort of people side of augmentation, I think what I'm hearing is there's also an opportunity to use some of the automation to combine those two, the people and the technology in a way that helps meet those fluctuating demands. Absolutely. And and that's kind of where we take the the concept that Kevin has brought and the concept that I brought together to say, you know, there there is the right place to start. I think Kevin has, has nailed it. We start in the back office. We build the use cases. We build the RPA and AI tools to address the automation for the 80% standard business process that doesn't change. We let those resources focus on the higher value, like more strategic uh, aspects of their daily jobs. And then you start to bleed that into, okay, where can we now address that from a clinical uh, decision support and clinical care perspective? And you start to build out those use cases. And I think you might move a little slower, but the value there is gonna be tremendous because the burnout issues that you see in back office are greatly accentuated when you look at the front of the house from a clinical care perspective. Yeah, and I think if you just look at a couple of different examples, right, if we could leverage technology, whether it be RPA or AI in general, to derive some insights to prioritize a work queue, for example, that's going to make somebody maybe from Paul's team or one of our client sites uh, more efficient and increase job satisfaction overall, right? They're working on the problems that they took on as a clinician, if you will, or as a professional to solve. And that helps bring some additional level of uh, job fulfillment, if you will, or, or personal fulfillment, I should say. I think whatever we do, it's got to be a multi-pronged plan that then gets that kind of force multiplier of staff aug staffing from a managed services perspective plus technology just makes a one plus one equal something well beyond two. And we've seen some of this already working inside the hospital system where we're using a combination of people and technology to do things like manage care by exception. And as health systems are thinking about their click and mortar strategy, this seems like uh, an approach that can be taken outside of the hospital and into the broader health ecosystem. Absolutely. I mean, think about virtual care and all the capabilities there and the ability to see patients as they want to be seen in a different environment that doesn't require you to build a new clinic. It requires you to staff a technology solution that a patient can consume wherever they may be when they need care. Automating a bad process is a bad idea. We want to make sure that we consider the workflow enhancement component first. I completely disagree. Who cares? Why would you spend, if I'm, if I'm a health system, okay, and you said, gee, Paul, your HR onboarding process takes 23 steps. 
We could do it in five. All I need is six weeks of a business analyst time and disrupting my HR team to redo the business process and then automate it versus I type the code for 23 steps mm -hmm. as a developer and I never touch HR. And who cares that when I get to the millionth line of code, then I go back and I look at how I can fix it. But if you're automating it, who cares? Don't two things. I, I want to sell that project. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. But why would I ever, as a health? You're talking about money? time and duration. I'm saying if you don't look at the workflow, you're not going to address inaccuracies. Okay, workflow. I get that part. I get bad process is one thing, but needing to re-engineer a process before you automate it, if the process is not inherently broken, don't re-engineer it before you automate it. Just automate it. What's a bad process? A bad process. Don't is, say an efficient process because that's not true. A bad, data, data collection is wrong, then that's wrong. A bad process is a process that could lead to inaccuracies. So without analyzing the workflow and the process, you will not be able to articulate whether it's a good or a bad process. You get erroneous data rather than it being just broken. And I think you can evaluate the processes that you're looking at that are candidates for automation, and you can do a risk-based assessment of that and say three categories. The risk is minimal, this needs to be looked at, and this needs actual process redesign. I'm disagreeing with just the general statement. Sure. So because I think it's shades of gray. You have to think about why would I automate, if, if my onboarding percentage for, to use that easy example, if my onboarding percentage based on the current business process is only wrong 1% of the time, and it's just HR onboarding, why would you care? So I'm hearing there are two approaches here. One of them is a top-down approach, and the other one is very much a bottom-up approach. Is there some rubric for thinking about how you would tackle or divide and conquer? I think so. From a consulting perspective, I'm telling you, you need to re-engineer all of your processes. But from a technology and from a realistic perspective, I'm telling you your money's best spent on the higher risk data discrepancy areas than the rote, administrative, easy back office tasks. And the reality is the only way you can understand what is going to be leading to an inaccuracy versus just a long drawn out process is to do that assessment that Paul hit on a minute ago. Um, so there isn't a silver bullet there necessarily, right? You really have to sit down, understand what the process is, understand what your risks are. And that's why we were talking about back office is a little bit safer place to start uh, for some of these things versus more patient facing, patient forward kinds of processes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. One of the places where technology can have a big impact that we've only sort of touched on is ameliorating the conditions that health systems find themselves under in terms of financial and operational pressure. Kevin, can you speak to the ways in which technologies are, are helping identify some of those hotspot problems and how they're being addressed. Yeah, some of this goes back to utilizing data, uh, right, to help inform what the organization is doing today versus uh, what you can expect to come. So that's where we get into some of the predictive analytics as well. So we want to make sure that we're understanding exactly what's happening within our current populations and understanding how those populations might change or evolve over time, and then take that information and start to apply it to our resource plan that we have in play right now versus what we might need to change or maybe redirect, if you will, as we forge ahead into the future. So it's really going back to some of the basics in terms of utilizing your data as an asset, starting to not only predict what's coming in front of you, but also understanding how you can care for some of the patients differently based off of what's happened across your organization and or what's happening outside in other organizations and starting to apply that to your individual health system. That's exactly right. It is Care delivery for processes sake versus exception-based medicine, I think is the key way to think about it philosophically. 
And that benefits the patient as well, right? They stay engaged with their health. There's sort of high touch, but not intrusive levels of care. Yeah, I think, I think as, as we get this model right, I think the patient, not only are the, the care delivery uh, resources and staff going to feel like their time is better utilized, I think, again, coming in every month for a patient visit because it's your scheduled time versus seeing data come in via telemetry for uh, virtual care devices informing it, hey, two weeks from now, we want to see you because we see this data presenting differently. I think that's the key is delivering care as it is needed, not as there is a schedule and time and process requires it. Yeah, a wise man once told me, make it easy for me to do the right thing. Uh, that's Mr. Craig Joseph, who is our local CMO. And really what we can do with technology to help enable that is coming down to Leveraging the information that has been derived, putting in front of the right decision maker, whether it's a clinician or a clinical operations persona, whatever the case may be, but make it simple, right? Make it something that is kind of part of your day-to-day routine, part of your business, and, and that way you can stay informed over time as well. I think Craig also talks about, you know, make sure that you can take the technology and process through to the last mile. So make sure that whatever you do is easily effectuated at the very end of the process, which generally ends with a nurse, a physician, a clinician. We uh, are writing a book together, actually, and one of our key points is to think about that sort of end state and the end user and work backwards from there. Yeah, and the backwards part, to add on that maybe one last piece, is what is going to be an enabler? And that's where we're starting to see some of the cloud transformation to make sure that if we have to add net new technology, if we have to bring in net new data sets to start to inform, we have a scalable environment to accommodate that so that we don't have yet another barrier to make it easy to do the right thing. As we've talked to people about the book, one of the topics that has come up repeatedly is how often technology is put in place with a process that suits the technology, and then the difficulties that creates for those giving and receiving care. And we can see from the pandemic and even before just that there is this sort of feed-forward loop where all of those little difficulties make giving care in particular harder and that contributes to burnout, and that becomes a feed-forward thing where we have fewer staff and it's harder to retain and the price of labor goes up. So I think one of the things that we're talking about using technology for is to do things like uh, make sure that we're using the data so that we know how to decrease the number of clicks a physician has to Mm -hmm. do, or use AI or ML to do things like uh, automate scheduling, or control throughput. I think that's key too. And again, that's where most organizations don't have the staff to take the technology and evolve it and transform it and mature it. And that's where I think when you backfill some of that standard work uh, with a managed services organization, that really does free up, again, those people to operate um, and go back and, and your clinical informaticists get to liaise with the clinicians and the care delivery teams and truly understand how to leverage the technology to its maximum benefit versus, you know, you implement the technology for technology's sake and you never really get the true benefit. Yeah, I love that. So it's not having that one and done mentality. There's that continuous improvement mentality, but you're bringing in the folks who are expert at doing that part so that your own people can focus on the mission. I I think ultimately your technology architecture becomes unwieldy if you don't. I think maximizing the technology allows you to actually do more with less technology via clinical care process, et cetera, than adding another tool for each boutique nuanced thing that needs to be done in the organization. 
Yeah, 100% technology without an expert is just technology at the end of the day. You're not going to be helping anybody. So bringing the folks that actually know how to care for the patients closer to the technology roadmap, if you will, and understanding what the use case is, the better. You're going to have a better long-term experience and not just a one-and-done kind of implementation saying, oh, we checked the box, we implemented a particular cloud-based platform. That's great. What problems are you solving and are you thinking about the problems that are three to four years down the road as well? You'll never be able to articulate them in great detail, but you can start to understand, okay, how can this scalable platform support me long-term and near-term? I think the, the only thing that I'll put on top of all of that is I think you've got to have the appropriate governance structure where yes. you're bringing in your clinical informaticists, you're bringing in your clinicians, your physicians, your nurses to work and liaise with technologists to ensure you're getting the balance correct. I think that's key as well. You can have great technology, you can have great service augmentation and, and, and automation, but if you don't continue the dialogue and keep it up and put effort into it from a governance perspective, I think your outcome is uh, going to be limited at best. Kevin, Paul, thanks for joining me today to talk a little bit about the big squeeze and some of the things that health systems can think about to ameliorate those problems. Happy to be here. Yep. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check back for more episodes of Making Rounds wherever you listen to podcasts or on nordicglobal.com. Till next time, we'll see you in network. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. This helps others find the podcast as well.